Hello there, and welcome to Not The Farmer's Wife podcast. I'm CJ Steedman, and I'm definitely not the farmer's wife. I am a mum, a partner, a full-time off-farm worker, and enthusiastically a lady farmer. On our farm, Mojo Homestead, we grow chickens, goats, cows, and bees. We practice regenerative agriculture and holistic management. If, like me, you love all things farming and homesteading, and if you'd like to learn from the female farmer's perspective, then I'd love to have you along for the ride. So let's get farming. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Not the Farmer's Wife. I can't believe that we're up to, I think it's episode 34, is this one, um, or around that, 34, 35, um, which surprises me um, that we're uh, pumping along and I'm pushing out a podcast every week. I didn't e- I didn't know what would happen when I started them, so I'm pretty happy that we've got this far. And what I'm trying to do is cover off on a few things before um, the Backyard Chicken Keeping course starts in November. So for those of you that listen but don't aren't part of my um, email world, um, we have a Backyard Chicken Keeping course coming up in the second week of November. And that's a six-week course that covers everything for. It, it would be. It's very much aimed at beginners, but it would be suitable for somebody who has chalks or is thinking about having chalks or had them in the past, but is unsure about a few things. And we cover off on all kinds of things like nutrition and health and housing and social order and looking after your eggs and things like that. So it's a a complete beginner's course on backyard chicken keeping or a refresher course for somebody who'd already had chickens in the past and maybe just wants to make sure they're across everything that's current. Um, So I've been trying to cover off on a few things and so I've been going through lists of questions that I get asked quite often on social media or sometimes even in person because I have a few people that I help out um, who have backyard chickens um, that I know you know face to face rather than over social media. And one of the questions I get asked very, very often is, oh my God, but what about diseases that chickens can give us? Like I've got kids, I don't want my chickens, I don't want to get chickens because what if my kids get something from my chickens? So I'm going to talk about diseases in backyard birds. Now, I'm not going to talk about the diseases that are just transmitted from bird to bird or from other animal to bird. What I'm going to try and focus on is the diseases that humans need to be concerned about. And believe me, there is not as many as you think. <laughs> most people, the, the b- most common question that I get asked is, oh my God, can I catch avian flu, bird flu from my chickens? Can you? You'll have to wait to find out. So backyard chicken keeping diseases. Um, I'll, I've got a list here. Um of different diseases that um, affect poultry in Australia. So these are, and I think most of these would be in um, the US and the UK also. Um, Generally, they are diseases that would affect animals that are kept in, um, how do you say it, high stocking numbers, like in factory farming situations. For the most part, these are never going to impact backyard chickens. But it is still something that you need to be aware of because it can happen. And some of them, some of them do definitely affect backyard chickens. Some of them I've had firsthand experience with. Um, so there's one called aviation paramavoxyl virus. Never heard of that one. Blackhead, 
Never heard of that one. Botulism in poultry. That's handy, isn't it? Botulism always makes me think of the plague. Um, but it's there. It's a real thing. Uh, coccidiosis. Coccidiosis. I can never say it properly. Anyway, it's a very common one and I have had first-hand dealings with that and I do uh, treat my birds from time to time with an um, antibiotic-type liquid into their water to ensure, especially if I'm bringing new birds in, I will segregate them and treat them just in case. Uh, foul cholera. I think cholera would be pretty foul anyway, but foul cholera. So cholera for birds, uh, which is not the same as cholera for humans. Merrick's disease. Now, Merrick's disease I've had a lot of experience with. Unfortunately, I've lost a few birds to it. And while that does not impact humans at all, um, other birds can impact your chickens. So wild birds can bring Merrick's in. We have a lot of wild ducks here on the farm and the wild ducks can be carriers for it. Spotty liver, never had any dealings with that. Aviation influenza, bird flu, which can affect humans. Um, infectious laryngitis, I'm not even going to try and pronounce that, but it's a version of a flu, an influenza for, for birds. That can't affect us. Newcastle disease, nasty, is in Australia. I think it's also in America. It's not great, um, but it only goes between birds. Now, the last four that I'm about to list are the four that everybody freaks out about. Salmonella, Listeria, Campylobacter, and E. coli. And all four of those can affect birds, can affect humans. In some cases, humans can die from those um, diseases, from those infections or I don't even know whether you call them diseases or viral infections, bacterial infections. Humans can die from them if not treated and if they're bad enough and if there is other factors like um, lowered immune systems, things like that. Uh, so they're the ones that I'm going to focus on, those last four. Uh, and I will just touch on aviation, avian flu only because that is the most common question I get is, oh my God, can I get flu from my, from my chickens? Um, now... There's lots and lots of myths um, around chicken diseases, um, particularly with avian, avian flu, swine flu, when that was around. Um, and then, of course, COVID, you know, there's so many. I, I don't know what the truth is about COVID. I'm not even going to start to go down that path. Um, but those types of things have certainly raised issues for people in their mind about what can be transmitted, what can be caught, what can't be. Now, for the most part, the risk is so low that it's not worth worrying about. But with all things livestock, low risk is not the same as no risk. And I always think that prevention management is far better option than treatment. If you can avoid getting a virus, that's going to be better than having to treat the virus. So there are some things that we can do. One thing that we can do is really, really, really maintain um, a good idea of what our stock health is. So if you've got five birds in the backyard, five chickens that you're keeping in your backyard, the best thing you can do is have such a good understanding of what their proper good health looks like that when they're not healthy, when there's something wrong, you're automatically going to look and go, oh, there's something not right about that bird. I really, I think 
maybe they're feeling a bit flat. Maybe they're, they're not eating, not pooping, you know, all the things that are essential to live. If they're not doing those things, if you are handling them every day, if you're noticing their behavior every day and suddenly their behavior changes, you're going to pick up on that. So observation of your chickens is the best way that you can get through understanding when they're sick and when they're not healthy. And that goes for everything. That goes for the for the medical issues that they can have too, the illnesses that they can have outside of viruses and bacterial infections. Um, you know, if a, if a bird's walking upright and, you know, looking very haunched, but, but body upright, things like that, and then you think, oh, shit, I didn't actually collect any eggs. I don't think I got an egg off her today. Maybe your chook's egg bound. But if you don't, if you're not aware of what they normally look like when they do get that egg bound stance where they walk very upright, you're probably not going to pick up on it. So the best thing you can do is observe your birds every day. There's a couple of things to watch for as far as an unhealthy bird in regards to like viral or bacterial type things. And these are not a, it's not a complete list, but this is a rough guide um, to if you saw something, you would probably investigate further. So a runny or blocked nose. (laughs) Now most people go, but they don't have a nose, they've got a beak, but they do have nostrils above their beak. And if you can see that there's gunk blocked in there or that there's fluid running out of there, then that's a runny or blocked nose for a chicken. Um, Bubbly or swollen eyes. Their eyes are real big indicators of their health. Um, Certainly, you know, even down to the color of the eye, the way the pupil is sitting can um, give you really good indication about what's wrong. But anything to do with the eye, if it's looking puffy or closed or not, not sitting where it should be, then that would be a good indication to have a little bit of a look further. Uh, reduced activity. So not eating, drinking as normally, not going around doing their normal chickeny things. So if she's walking around the paddock or the yard and uh, and all the other chooks are madly running around eating and trying to catch bugs and things and she's kind of sitting in the corner all fluffed up and, and not really wanting to join in, that would be a good indication. Uh, sitting hunched up so fluffing up their feathers if you haven't seen it they just do a little bit of a a fluff of their feathers every now and again now they normally do that when they're a bit warm and they're trying to bring their temperature back down Um, they can also do it if they've got a bit of a lice or a mite problem but if they're doing it and they're just sitting with their feathers hunched up their feathers are kind of sticking out and and it's not hot or cold the temperature is quite good but they just are sitting with those feathers kind of fluffing then that's a good sign that they're not well. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, drooping tail. Now, drooping tail can mean a lot of things, like I said, when they stand upright and their bum's hanging down, that can be a good indication for being egg-bound. Um, but drooping tail is also a sign that they're not happy, they're not healthy and not functioning the way they're supposed to. Um, changes in faecal matter. Oh, my God, I don't think having livestock means that you just have to accept the fact that you're always going to be looking at animals poo it's a lovely thought (laughs) it's one of the one of the more glamorous aspects of looking after livestock is always checking shit (laughs) Uh, i have to do it with my goats my horses my cows uh you have to do it with chickens as well now chickens um you'll notice when your chickens do a big dump there's white stuff and green stuff the white stuff is almost like urine for them because it all comes out of the vent all comes out of the same hole but you will know what's normal for your chickens some chickens are a little bit more runny some chickens are a little bit more solid um first thing in the morning there tends to be a really big poo 
Um, if you've got a broody hen, oh my God, <laughs> the broody hens get off their eggs to go out for their once a day, eat, drink and poop. And they've saved up their poo all day to not poo on their eggs that they're sitting on. And when they come out, I think the first time I saw a broody chook's poo and realized what it was, I was like, holy fuck, how did that all get stored up in that one chicken? It was the biggest shit I have ever seen. And it stinks to high heaven because they've been hanging on to it all day. So if you just imagine somebody hanging on to everything all day and then once a day going out and just dropping it all, that's exactly what a broody chook's poo looks like. Anyway, lovely topic, poo. <laughs> but it's a good thing to know what's normal and what's not. So when it's not normal, uh, particularly things like a little bit of blood or discoloration in there, um, extra liquid, foaminess, frothiness, things like that, they're things that you need to be aware of. Uh, weakness and uh, lethargy, they're obviously, they're an obvious, you know, if, if somebody's not feeling well, they're not going to be moving around as much. Um, sometimes with chickens, they will just lay down um, or they'll sit on the ground or they won't walk properly or... Yeah, you, you'll notice if they're not moving around as much. Um, and the other thing is sneezing and gasping or gurgling noises when they're breathing. Um, most people, if you walk out to your chicken coop of a night, you will hear gentle, soft cooing. It almost sounds a bit like a dove cooing. And if you shine the torch on them, you might get a couple of uh, like squeaky noises where they're kind of like, what the hell are you doing? We're all asleep. Um, but if you walk out there and you can hear a raspy kind of breathing or a gurgling kind of breathing, then that's a good sign that there might be a respiratory issue. And some of these things we're going to talk about do cause respiratory issues, uh, particularly avian flu, obviously. I mean, it's a flu for, for chickens. Of course, they're going to have trouble breathing and get be all congested. Um, so those are the main ones that you want to look at. But like I said, if you are monitoring your behavior of your chickens every day in the, in the yard, if you go out and feed them morning and night and, and you're checking them, spending a little bit of time with them out in the garden, you'll notice changes in their behavior. Now, any change in the behavior to a bird, the best thing I can suggest is isolate that bird. And it's, Chickens are flock animals. They like to be with other chickens. But if they're feeling unwell, believe me, they appreciate being removed from them. Um, chickens, you know, the other chickens, they don't know. We we like to put these human um, emotions onto our animals. But at the end of the day, chickens have chicken-like behavior. And if there is a weak member of the flock, they will get picked on. So if you have one bird down, other birds, especially more dominant birds, uh, will pick on a weak bird because a weak bird is an issue for the flock. Um, just like with a herd of animals, you know, back in the days of the buffalo and, and that kind of thing, a weak animal would bring the whole herd back to a slower pace. So nobody wants a weak member. Um, that means that the birds can get a little bit harassed. So the kindest thing you can do, not just for the for the bird, but for the rest of the flock as well, because then they're not stressed about it is to remove the bird and isolate it. Now, it only needs to go into, if you've got like a, a cat carrier or a dog carrier, um, we've got a little uh, soft-sided kind of um, dog carrier that we use to isolate them because we can wash it out. You need to be able to disinfect it afterwards um, because anything that that bird had, especially if it passes, anything that bird has, you don't want to pass that on to the rest of the flock. So being able to um, disinfect whatever your 
uh, isolation chamber is, uh, is is vital. So you need to think about that. And like I say, it doesn't have to be expensive or anything like that. Just a little cat, plastic cat carrier is enough. Uh, somewhere where you can give them food and water, bedding to sit on, and you can monitor them more closely. But you can also isolate them from the rest of the flock. So if the rest of the flock doesn't have what they've got, they're not going to get it. So the ones that I'm going to talk about today are the ones that have that higher risk for humans. Now, they're the ones that are classified as zoonotic, I'm going to say it's pronounced, which I'm pretty sure that is how it's pronounced. Now, zoonotic diseases are diseases that can be transmitted from animals to humans or vice versa, from humans to animals. And um, I was actually surprised when I did a little bit of research on this because I knew I knew that that was the case with things like salmonella, um, that they're, they're animal-borne diseases, but they can be transmitted across to humans. But when I did a bit of research about how many um, zoonotic diseases there are, I was actually really surprised. Um, in America, I came across a really good list. Uh, what page was it? Just let me have a look here. I think it's the um, Biological Safety of America. Um, and oh my God, I <laughs> I mean, some of them, you know, I knew, but I just didn't think about. Um, leptospirosis, which is from um, uh, dog, mice, rats, urine, um, contacting humans and not washing hands. That, that can be transmitted to humans. And it's a horrible, horrible, nasty disease. So uh, salmonella, obviously, brucellosis which is from in infected pigs, cattle, goats, sheep and dogs. Um, so because I've yeah, spent a fair bit of time on the farm, some of these ones I, I was absolutely aware of. Um, there's a couple on here that we don't get in Australia, thank God. Rabies. Rabies is the big one. And rabies, when I actually, I tried to, to get some research on to which zoonotic diseases actually cause huge problems in humans rabies by far was the highest rabies causes the most amount of deaths the most amount of lingering health issues and the next one down was lyme disease now we don't have lyme disease here in australia so i don't know a lot about it but i, I have heard people on um on groups that i'm in with with my homesteading stuff in america talk about lyme disease and it's quite debilitating so it's obviously one that is passed you know from animals to humans um what other ones uh uh, I always say it wrong. I call it Gardea, but some people say Jardea. It's a um, like a um, it's from drinking contaminated water. It's a parasite that lives in the water, and when you drink it, it goes into your stomach and causes huge problems. Now I've had two traveling partners that I've traveled with to third world countries who both caught it. I don't think I've ever had it, or if I've had it, I didn't know I had it. <laughs> um, but it basically makes you shit through the eye of a needle for three days and then you'll take enough stoppers to kind of stop it and it comes good for a couple of days and then it hits you again and it can go on for months like months and months you you have to go on to very very strict antibiotic re regime to to get rid of it um malaria i've had that overseas i had um the middle stage malaria so not the um, cerebral malaria and not the really mild one um, and my understanding is once you've had that, you, you can't get rid of it. It's still in my liver and that's just the way it is and not an issue. Not an issue for me because I'm not sick. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a whole bunch of ones in America that I had never heard about. Um, there are also some ones that primarily come from humans to animals. So um, tuberculosis, 
Um, I didn't realize we could transmit that to animals, but humans who are infected can actually transmit that to animals. So that's one for the uh, the humans in the, the bad books. Now in Australia, we have a whole bunch of other ones on our list. Uh, Q fever is one, and that's one that I'm about to go and get inoculated against. It's None of my animals have Q fever, as far as I know. However, it is very, very transmissible between livestock, particularly cattle and humans. And as we go into breeding our cattle, I have been advised by my doctor that at my age, evidently it can impact older women more, um, to go and get a vaccination against Q fever so that I I can't catch it off them, even if they do have it, because it can be quite nasty. Uh, Listeria is another one uh, that we have on our list, which is one that I'll discuss. Hydata, which is a Hydata worm, uh, and that can affect humans. Hendra virus, which is a horrible, nasty one for our equine industry. Um, that's one that really does cause some issues. Um, for us, we have two separate kinds of brucellosis. So we have brucellosis in pigs and brucellosis from dogs. Uh, there is also on our list mad cow disease which we actually don't have mad cow disease in australia so i'm not sure why that's on the list uh beef measles never heard of that before but there you go evidently they can get the measles and pass it on to us thanks very much cows uh and avian flu obviously is on that as well as well as anthrax hmm that, that would be lovely wouldn't it you can imagine getting anthrax i thought that was just a a biological hazard that people sent through the mail anyway So there's a whole bunch of diseases that can be transmitted from humans to animals and from animals to humans. The ones I'm going to look at are the main ones. Now, I'm going to touch on salmonella last because it is the one that probably has the biggest risk for us. So listeria. Listeria gets a really, really bad rap, but it can affect chickens, but it primarily affects cattle, goats and sheep. Uh, Now, the stats that I pulled up on this, 60 Humans in Australia per year are affected by listeria. I think at the last referendum that we just had, there's 17 million Australians. So 60 humans being affected a year, I really don't think listeria is much of a problem here. But people think that listeria comes from um, uh, chicken eggs, raw eggs and things like that. It's actually not the biggest cause of it. In fact, it's not even on the list of what causes it. So the kinds of things that cause listeria are foods um, that are refrigerated like pâtés and meat spreads, pre-prepared or pre-packaged fruit and vegetable salads, so things that have already been cut up. And I think that's more from them touching things that or being cut with things that have been exposed to listeria. Um, also things in buffets or salad bars. You know how they talk about don't eat from the Bay of Marie if it's been sitting there all day? Well, that's why, because food that sits can be more prone to it. Rock melon. There you go. For all my uh, lovely fruit and veggie eating friends out there, um, rock melon is one of the biggest causes of listeria in Australia. Go figure. Uh, raw seed sprouts. Uh, so you know how you sprout your seeds in the jar, you know, to make your salad nice and healthy? Uh, evidently, listeria. And I knew this one. This is one that I can remember going through as a kid, particularly, you know, as a kid, we all love our soft serve from uh, McDonald's. Um, <laughs> soft serve ice cream can cause listeria. Oh, take away all our joy in life. Um, and unpasteurized fruit juices. It's still doing my head in all this pasteurization stuff. I There's lots of things that I did not know until very recently could be pasteurized. Evidently, you can pasteurize fruit juice. Hmm. 
Anyway, so unpasteurized fruit juices can cause listeria. Uh, now, the prevention that's listed for listeria is because it's a foodborne illness, obviously they say um, women, older people, people with weakened immune systems need to be particularly careful. But uh, they then go on to say that it's most commonly caused by eating improperly deli processed deli meats and unpasteurized milk, even though milk wasn't on the list of things that causes it. Uh, but obviously the soft serve ice cream would have some milk in it, you would hope. Um, so preventing it is avoiding those foods is what they say to, pre to how to prevent it. Um, and the treatment for listeria, if you do get it, it depends on the severity, but most people with mild symptoms require zero treatment. Um, it's generally just a monitor, make sure your fluids are up, rest, that kind of thing. If you had a lower immune system or things like that, then they will prescribe you antibiotics to try and help you know, your system get back into scratch. Um, it, obviously, anybody who is pregnant or has an immune problem, if you thought you had listeria, you need to get yourself off to the doctor. Uh, so that was that was a bit, I, I was a bit surprised by that. I was like, that's not even an, a chicken eggy kind of thing. But um, if it's egg in a salad bar or something like that, that would be where it's caused. But I get asked all the time, do you get listeria from chicken eggs? So uh, Campylobacter, I hope I'm saying that correctly, Campylobacter. Uh, which is a uh, disease that is spread through warm-blooded animals. Uh, it's most prevalent in animals such as poultry, cattle, pigs, sheep, and ostriches. We don't have a lot of ostriches here in Australia, but uh, but also in pets, including cats and dogs. So little Fido could be, you know, doing it. Uh, the bacteria has also been found in shellfish. Uh, and shellfish used to get a really bad rap for all those other things as well. But I think I really... I don't think it was always the shellfish. I sometimes wonder whether it was the way it was prepared or processed. Um, the main route of transmission for Campylobacter is foodborne via undercooked meat and meat products, as well as raw or contaminated milk. Um, contaminated water or ice is also a source of infection. So, you know, when you travel overseas to um, a country maybe that doesn't have the same water filtration system as, a, as you know Australia or the US would have, they say don't drink the water and don't get ice in your drink because the ice obviously is made from the water and if they're telling you not to drink the water without boiling it then you probably shouldn't be having the ice without doing the same and boiling ice just doesn't seem to have the same effect on a cold drink does it um so the proportions that of cases that occur following contact with contaminated water are quite high so that's one that really does come from that kind of waterborne more than anything else when you're traveling particularly now, um, there's a few things that they say to prevent it, and, and most of it go to um, measures within the agricultural industry, and those are good hygiene measures and good biosecurity, which we'll discuss biosecurity a bit later. Um, but countries that don't have adequate sewerage systems, you have to be very, very careful about uh, where food is coming from in that respect. Um, and people don't want to think about it, but uh, there's a book called Human Manure, and the guy actually uses his own manure to fertilise the soil. Done right, no problem at all. Uh, done wrong, <laughs> lots of problems. So it's an interesting book. I might I'll try and find the link for it because I, I haven't read the whole thing. I've only read some excerpts from it. But um, it was very interesting when you get your head around the fact that he's using his own manure. Um, 
So uh, what else do they say? Um, biosecurity, obviously. Biosecurity is something we will discuss later, but biosecurity is about not having um, animals from another farm come to your farm or people from another farm who've been in contact with animals from another farm come to your farm because that can then cause the spread of diseases that you wouldn't have already had on your farm. Uh, good hygiene when slaughtering. That's the main one. So when when we slaughter our birds here, our chickens, um, we uh, have a hose going pretty much the whole time. It, it might seem like a lot of a waste of water, but it's a great way to do it. We try and make sure that when we gut the bird, we are ensuring all of the organs are coming out without breaking any. Now, sometimes I do break them. When I do break them, I rinse it straight off with the hose uh, because you don't want any of that fecal matter touching the carcass. In factory farmed settings, and this may sound, oh, maybe you won't be as grossed out by this as what you were by the fact that sometimes I break open the intestine and have to wash it off. But in factory farm settings, uh, they just, when they're processing mass amounts of chicken, they just bleach the meat. They just put bleach in the water and bleach the meat. And that way, any disease or any bug that's on it is killed. Um, I'm not sure that I like the idea of eating bleached meat, but we've been doing it for hundreds of years. Oh, not hundreds. Maybe since factory farming, maybe 50 years we've been eating bleached chicken meat. So um, that's one way that they reduce it in that kind of factory farm setting. Uh, obviously, if you're doing the processing yourself like I do, it's just a matter of hygiene. Washing hands beforehand, not touching your face with your hands while you're processing, making sure that all your equipment is clean and has been sterilised. Yeah. It's, you know, it's easy to fix. You just need to be clean <laughs> about all your equipment and where you're doing all your processing. Um, and it, obviously in domestic kitchens, that's what they say. It's, it's about keeping the area clean and stopping any kind of bacterial diseases coming in. Now, the other thing again that can fix Campylobacter is pasteurization. Louis Pasteur has so much to, to be thankful. We, we really need to be grateful to him, even though I hate the idea of pasteurizing milk. <laughs> the fact that we can pasteurize large quantities of food to make them safe to eat is awesome. Um, now, the treatment for Campylobacter um, is, again, like, like the other ones, it's not it's unlikely to kill you unless you have an immune system or a problem or some other health issue that, you know, can, can cause your body to not be able to cope with it. Um, the main thing is with it is that it affects your intestinal mucosa cells. And then, so that means that the diarrhea would be horrendous. Um, so fluids, lots of fluids, they need to rehydrate you. So they will do electrolyte replacements um, and rehydration systems. Um, and sometimes they have to do an antimicrobial treatment to try and get that um, bacteria out of your um, intestine so that you can get better. Uh, now, the thing with that is you can keep shedding the bacteria while being asymptomatic. So no symptoms at all and you could still be shedding it. So this is where hand washing comes in handy. And I will talk about hand washing later on. People don't wash their hands properly and people don't wash their hands properly in the right situations. But we'll we'll discuss that further later. So the next one I want to talk about was E. coli. Now, E. coli, everybody acts like, oh my God, it's E. coli. We're going to get food poisoning, blah, blah, blah. We all already have E. coli. <laughs> We've all got E. coli living in our intestine already. The difference is that the intestine E. coli 
is a healthy level of bacteria. It's meant to be there. It's got a job to do. Um, it, it really, it, in situ, where it's meant to be, it's doing the right thing. It's when it is, um, when it comes out of our system, when it's exposed and when it goes on to foods that we eat, then we can get E. coli that is not manageable and not part of our normal body's ecosystem. So the main ones that cause uh, E. coli are ground beef. I don't know why ground, but ground beef. So they talk about the fact that you really need to make sure you cook your hamburger meat properly because these bacteria are generally killed by heat, by cooking. So that's why pasteurization works so well. So ground beef needs to be cooked properly, but get ready for it. Vegetables. Vegetables are one of the biggest causes of E. coli. Is this another reason why carnivores would be happy to say vegetables are trying to kill you? Anyway, <laughs> so cook vegetables. Don't eat raw vegetables. You know, we used to say eat raw vegetables. It's good for you. It's healthy. Um, if there's any chance that you think there may be E. coli issues, well-cooked beef, well-cooked um, vegetables. Uh, and the illness caused by E. coli, there's no treatments for the infection uh, it's just a matter of relieving the symptoms and preventing complications. So for most people, it's just a case of fluids and rest uh, to prevent dehydration and fatigue. Now, before I go into avian flu, I want to go back and talk about salmonella. Salmonella is the one that is the issue. So all those other things, eggs aren't really an issue. Chicken meat isn't really an issue. It, the instances where those things would be caused by um, chickens or eggs are very, very low. Salmonella, on the other hand, I can't make that claim. So it is one that we need to, as backyard chicken keepers, we really need to be aware of. So salmonella is a germ that can be carried by chickens even when they appear healthy and clean. So you won't know they've got it. But it can be tested for in their uh, poo, in their feces. So it can be tested to, to check to see if they have it. Um, in humans... Um, Humans, it's usually caused from eating undercooked food and the undercooked food is chicken. I don't know whether anybody else saw that meme of a girl and she was like cooking chicken and she thought she was doing it like sashimi and it was raw and that's how she was going to eat it. And I was like, holy shit, does she realise that chicken meat actually does need to be cooked? It's not one of the ones you can eat raw. I've had beef raw, steak tartare. It's delicious, beautiful. Yes, there is a risk, but I think the risk is worth it. Um, but also too, you've got to remember in a lot of countries, it's eaten very regularly raw. And I also can't stand my steaks being well done. I think it's just a waste of a steak. Um, I'm very much a, a medium or rare kind of steak girl. Um, but chicken meat definitely, definitely needs to be cooked. Now, um, the bacteria is transferred into your mouth from the contaminated foods, but it can also be contaminated via cut the, the knife that you use. So not washing Knives between cutting chicken and cutting something else can transfer it. Um, contaminated water, handling animals without washing your hands afterwards. Wash your hands, people. It's not hard. Um, and uh, surfaces that have the bacteria on them, so nappies, toilets, things like that. Uh, now, if you've been infected, you can spread salmonella as, salmonella as long as you carry the bacteria in your bowel, and it could be months after the symptoms stop. So. If you've had salmonella, you have to be really, really careful and make sure that you keep doing all the things to stay healthy and clean. Uh, prevention, the way to prevent it is preparing food safely, 
Hand washing. Oh my God, there's that hand washing again. <laughs> Avoiding contamination, not eating raw meat, dairy or egg products. Now that being said, I think you can eat raw eggs and I do eat raw eggs. Um, I certainly have eaten a lot of raw eggs in my time without any issue. Um, but that's because I know that my chooks are really healthy and they don't have salmonella. Um, so washing your hands. It just keeps saying washing your hands. Wash with ha- soapy water for 20 seconds. Yeah, people don't do it. People wash their hands very quickly. And yeah, if I'm preparing food, I feel like my hands look like prunes because when I'm doing, well, when I'm preparing our meat birds, when I'm processing them, my hands are in water the whole time anyway, but they've been washed thoroughly with good soap and disinfectant before I start. Um, But even when I'm cooking for my kids, I feel like I'm always washing my hands. It's, I don't know, maybe from working in a restaurant years ago, I just got it into my head and haven't bothered stopping. Uh, so salmonella, according to, um, scientists, you have more chances. This is in relation to the raw egg issue. According to scientists, you have more chances of contracting salmonella from leafy greens than from raw eggs. I'm going to say that again, more chance of contracting salmonella from leafy greens than raw eggs. And this is why I've never really bothered about the whole raw egg thing. Um, the, the government when they see that there is a chance that somebody could get sick from something, they have to try to protect the wider community. And certainly if you had somebody who was running a factory farmed chicken producing place, um, egg producing place, and they weren't using proper hygiene practices, of course the government wants them to use proper hygiene practices. So I understand where they're coming from in that respect. Um, But I did not even know until 12 months ago that you could pasteurize an egg Evidently, they superheat them and it kills any bugs in them. I'm sure it kills lots of good stuff in them too. But um, I did not know that you could pasteurize an egg. I knew you could pasteurize milk. I just didn't know you could pasteurize eggs. But at home, I regularly make homemade mayo from raw eggs and we eat it. I eat it. My kids love it. My partner loves it. And we've never, ever been ill. So... I think it comes down to watching your chickens and making sure that they're not sick. If they are, if you think they're sick, if you are really, really that worried about it, collect a sample of poo, take it to the vet, ask the vet to test it for salmonella because they can test poo to see if the the bird has salmonella. Uh, Now, salmonella, what does it do to us as humans? You'll get diarrhea, fever and stomach. It It is the stomach flu. It is food poisoning. That's exactly what it is. Uh, you get those cramps within 8 to 72 hours after exposure. And most healthy people recover within a few days to a week without any specific treatment. That being said, if you are pregnant, if you are um, have a lowered immune system, anything like that, then obviously you need to be more careful than everybody else. And, and you probably need to be more careful in lots of things, but you certainly need to be more careful in how, what you eat and how you eat. And I do believe that if we prepare prepare more of our food at home in a setting where we know what the hygiene standards are, then that reduces a lot of our risk of being exposed to these things. But please don't think that having backyard chickens is going to cause all the family to come down with salmonella, uh, because it probably won't. (laughs) It's not that big a deal. Um, and I couldn't get stats on how many people have salmonella, but I uh, certainly looking at the scientific data on it they were saying leafy greens cause like i don't know something like 48 percent of it and 
eggs and dairy caused like 20%, but, but they didn't separate eggs and dairy. So I don't know how much was dairy and how much was eggs. Anyway, the last one I'm going to talk about before we discuss a few things you can do to, to, you know, make sure that your chickens are happy and healthy um, is avian flu. Now, this is the one that I get asked the most about, and I don't know whether it's because of COVID or because of we've had swine flu and then we've had avian flu, different variations over the years. Now, take into account with all that, for me, I always have a bit of a laugh about it when people say, oh, people die from these things. Um, in 2009, when I was 14 weeks pregnant with my daughter, MJ, um, we had somebody visit our work area who had just come back from overseas. They'd just come back from uh, Hong Kong or Singapore, I can't remember which. And they came down ill literally the day after they got back with um, swine flu. I think it was swine flu. Yeah, it was swine flu. And uh, within a couple of days, I went down like a bag of shit. Literally got to work at seven o'clock in the morning, felt fine, was not sick at all, had no symptoms of flu, cold, nothing. By 11 o'clock, I couldn't breathe out of my nose. I was coughing my guts up. I couldn't swallow. I had razor blades in the throat and I felt like I couldn't get a decent breath in. So in four hours, I went from perfectly healthy to as sick as a dog. I, um, we, we'd just been advised about the person having uh, swine flu, having tested positive to swine flu. So I went straight to my doctors who freaked out and covered me in a mask. And this is all pre-COVID guys, um, covered me in a mask and said, don't breathe on anybody. Um, and gave me these horse strength antibiotics and antivirals and sent me home and said, you are in isolation for uh, seven to 10 days. And I ended up having two weeks off work. I felt like shit for the first seven days. I just curled up in a screaming heap on the lounge um, and uh, took the antivirals and she gave me antibiotics to have because I was pregnant as well. She was worried about that. Uh, and honestly, within uh, the seven days, I came good. The, the flu went, I was fine. No long-term effects for my daughter. So no, no impact on my pregnancy. So, it, you know, these things happen and you just have to cope with them. But aviation, avian flu. Um, so the frequency and geographic range of the outbreaks of avian flu mean that in here, in Australia, we have not had it detected for some time. Now they are constantly monitoring and it is a reportable disease. So if somebody gets it in Australia, and um, like I said, most of these diseases happen in factory farm settings. So where you've got you know, a thousand birds in the one spot. So those, those farms have legislative requirements to test their birds. And if one of those strains is detected in Australia, then they're shut down until it's fixed. Um, I don't know the full details of how they fix avian flu, but I know that we in Australia, even though it is a, it's listed as one of those ones, it's also not been picked up in Australia for a long time. And because it is a reportable disease, if it was picked up, we would all know about it. So while, yes, it is a zoonotic disease, you can catch avian flu from your chickens. The chances of your backyard chickens having it are so low, it's not even worth discussing. Okay, so what can we do to help our chickens be really, really healthy so that we don't have to worry about these things? There's a couple of things. Coop cleanliness is the main one. Pick up the poop regularly. Poop is a great transmitter for horrible bugs. So keeping it clean, your yard free of manure is awesome. 
Rodent and wild bird control are another big one. Don't have feeders that wild birds and rodents can get to easily. If you have the treadle feeders that your chickens can stand on, our feeders are housed within our um, tractor, so that means wild birds can't get in there. A sparrow could probably get through the netting, but that's about the only one that could get through, and they don't get through. The chickens go in and eat it and push the sparrows out. But rodents, we don't have a problem with rodents because they're pasture-raised and chickens will eat mice and rats without a problem. Um uh, when when you do want to clean out your shed, and I would recommend twice a year cleaning out the coop completely, so stripping everything out and washing down all the walls and the nesting boxes. And when you do that, I would do 50-50 water vinegar mix and wash everything and get a little brush that you just use for cleaning the coop uh, so that you can scrub any timber surfaces with the vinegar mix. Um, that just gets rid of anything that's kind of sitting in those surfaces. So I would do that twice a year. And don't forget to, to wash down your perches as well because chickens stand in their own poo and then they climb up on their perch. So there's going to be traces of fecal matter all along their um, their perches. So make sure you wash those as well. Nest box crowding is another one. Now eggs, because eggs can transmit salmonella um, and the egg shells, if they get cracked or damaged, that can be worse, that can make it worse. So the best thing you do is not have nest box crowding. If you have more than a couple of birds, you need more than a couple of nest boxes. We've just installed some extras in ours. So for um, 30 odd birds, 35 odd birds, we've got five nest boxes and it's reduced any kind of breakage issues or any fighting over getting spots. Um, obviously, if you've only got three birds in the backyard, have two nesting boxes. It, it makes sense to have two. The girls don't like to share. They, they get a bit funny about it. Um, so keeping all of that area clean is going to straight away make it much easier. Having healthy birds. Now, nutrition obviously is a great plus for having healthy birds. If they're well-fed birds, then they're going to be right. Having clean drinking water is going to reduce bacteria and diseases passing through. Um, you can give them supplements. There's certain supplements that you can give, but giving them access to um, herbs and insects and all the things that a chicken normally would have in its diet. Um, in fact, I should do a, I might do an episode later, what herbs you can feed chickens for certain things. You know, I never discount medical practice and vets are awesome and their knowledge is fucking way outside of mine. But um, there are certain herbal things that you can do that you can give to, to animals that improve their ability to cope with bacteria and virus and parasites um, obviously keeping their parasite load down it will make for healthy birds as well but one of the other things people don't think about is um, the stress and emotional well-being of birds so birds that aren't being uh, stressed out by predators by stressed out by um, lack of space in their coop stressed out by being attacked by a more dominant bird in the flock birds that aren't under stress are going to naturally be more healthy so that's an obvious now vaccination and biosecurity some people are pro-vaccination some people are anti-vaccination i'm more than happy to vaccinate here in australia the things that get vaccinated against uh you can get vaccinations against avian flu uh, but Marex, Marex is the main one that gets vaccinated against here in australia and i think newcastle disease also gets vaccinated against those vaccinations I've, I've had birds die from Marex and it's not good to watch. You end up knocking them on the head because it's easier than watching them just be in agony for three days. But if I can vaccinate, if I can buy vaccinated stock, I will. They've started just recently in the last year or two, started bringing out smaller dose vaccination batches. 
So for backyard breeders and for backyard growers, we are now at a point where we might be able to buy enough vaccination. It used to be that you could only buy vaccination dosages for a thousand birds. So unless you're producing a thousand birds in one hit, it's not worth buying it. Um, now it's coming in smaller batches. It's going to make it much easier for us to vaccinate. So I'm not anti-vaccination by any stretch. I think vaccination is awesome. Um, uh, but biosecurity is the main one. So if we get birds in from another area, so obviously if we get our day-old chicks, they're in the brooder house. So they're kept separate from our adult chickens. And likewise, the chicks are not exposed to the adult birds until they're uh, grown and got a healthy immune system happening. But if you take in uh, birds that somebody gives you because they're moving or something like that and they say, oh, I've got a couple of birds, keep those birds separate to the rest of your flock, I would say for two weeks. So you can monitor their health, monitor their nature. You can check what's normal for them. You know, it, it's just an obvious. You don't want to put a bird that you don't know what it's got or hasn't got in with your chickens and then have them go down. That would be the worst. <clears throat> the other thing is... Um, uh, don't allow people who have a big exposure to other birds and other things like that to come into your area wearing their clothes, their shoes, everything that they have on their farm. Because anything that's on their farm, you are now transmitting it to yours. And we've just gone through a big deal here in Australia with um, hand, foot and mouth um, on with cattle and sheep and, and goats. And you just have to say, no, you can't come onto the farm. If you've been on another farm, unless you're wearing clean clothes and you can sterilize their boots, you can just put down a tub of um, disinfectant with water and they can stand in it and, and remove any soil from the bottom of their shoes. Yeah, there's little things you can do just to make yourself a bit safer. Anyway, handling diseases is the next thing I just want to cover on. What to do if you have any of these things. So I've already said that salmonella can be tested for. So if you think you have a sick bird, by all means, engage a vet. And everything I've said today does not discount anything a vet has said. If you have any concerns, you should be going to a vet to get it double-checked. But they can test for salmonella. Listeria, um, birds die from it they die. They, in most cases, you would only find out that they had listeria after they died. Uh, but like I said earlier, it's not really a huge issue for birds here in Australia. Uh, but if you do have a bird die and uh, you know, the, the, the bird is unknown why it's died and you think it might be listeria, then you would uh, get the vet to test a tissue sample from the dead bird and then you would have to treat the rest of your stock. And you can treat them. Penicillins can be very effective. Uh, careful abacta. Uh, they do an examination, a PCR test of the feces um, of, to determine whether there's Campylobacter in there. Um, and can we, oh, actually, and it occurs more in dogs. Vets have to test more in dogs. Um, but I didn't, I couldn't find anything about the treatment of it. So I don't know whether it's just a case of isolate the bird and, you know, monitor. Uh, e. coli, like I said, that lives in our intestine anyway. So, um you know, it can happen in birds, it can happen in humans. Antibiotics can be used um, with poultry, particularly if you're talking, you know, 50 or 100 birds. With a small flock, it would be very rare that it would happen. But there are also some other treatments. They listed a thing called Colston sulfate, which I've never heard of, but I know um, copper bolus is given to goats for certain things. So there's it just goes to show you how much research some vets and things like that have done and animal researchers. It's awesome that we can do that. Um, 
It depends on the regulations and rules in your country, it said. But you can use antibiotics to clear up E. coli issues like overproduction. Now, how to prevent the spread in humans. Wash your hands. (coughs) Sorry. Uh, Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. I've written it about three times. Uh, Don't eat in the coop. I know that might sound weird, but seriously, if you... Got to, if you're in the coop doing stuff, don't take food and drink in there with you. Um, if you've got children in your coop, watch that they're not putting anything in their mouth because kids do put weird shit in their mouths. Uh, and make sure they wash their hands. Uh, you can also have a set, and this is what I do, a set of farm clothes. So I have a pair of tracksuit pants and a couple of T-shirts that I always wear around the farm and I wash them separately and I don't wear my normal clothes out to the coop or into the chicken yard or out to the goat yard. I wear farm clothes and I have farm boots that I wear as well and those things get washed from time to time with disinfectant and that's just what we do. And the last one is wash your hands. (laughs) Um, Look, life comes with a lot of risks and I think it's really important to be informed but not panicky. Um, Media tend to hype these things up And the reason they hype things up is because they are trying to sell news. That's their job is to sell news. And in order to do that, they sensationalize just about everything that they sell. Um, Don't panic about catching diseases from your birds. Anyway, this one's gone a bit longer than what I normally do, but I am done. And I hope you have a awesome week. Um, If you haven't already, don't forget to jump on and register for my free webinar, which is now, I've had to change the date, it's now the 6th of November at 8am. Now that is a Monday morning, so if you're working and you're not able to um, be there, although for my American and UK friends, it is Sunday afternoon and evening. Um, If you're not able to be there for it, register anyway, because when, if you register, I will send you a copy of the um the webinar after it's been recorded so later that day you'll get sent a copy so even if you can't be there but you want to see which breed is going to be best for your own circumstances jump on and register and then you will get sent a copy of the webinar after it's been recorded so don't forget to go and do that it's at www.mojohomestead.net forward slash i actually sat down with the handy helper last week and worked out which one's which forward slash chicken breeds all one word chicken breeds go in register like I say even if you can't be there register anyway because you will get sent a copy and I can't wait to do that webinar I love discussing chicken breeds there are some girls who I just I could I want all the chickens anyway I just want all the chickens but there's some that I like more than others Anyway, that is it for me for this week. Um, I will talk to you next week where I think I am discussing something about chickens again, but I can't remember what. Anyway, oh, eggs. Oh my God, the oversupply of eggs that I have. That's what I'm discussing. I'll talk to you all next week. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed our time together. If you did, I'd be so grateful if you left me a review. I would also absolutely love it if you tagged me in your next post on your favourite socials at either Not The Farmer's Wife or Mojo Homestead. And don't forget to get your free guide to backyard chicken keeping at www.mojohomestead.net backslash seven must knows. And remember, grow the life you want to live. See ya.